<laughs> Sorry, Sophia wasn't paying, paying attention, but um, welcome to our mini-sode. We do not have time to do a full episode right now. So, we're doing a quick mini-sode. Quick mini-sode. Because mini-sodes don't pre- require any research. So, mini-sodes are like a thing we're going to do every so often, where we just kind of do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, which is like, you know, a good time for a podcast yeah. that we made. Sorry, so, Sophia and I, I think, are going to present some presentations that we've done from school. And by present, we just mean, like, sum up what's in them, I think. Mm-hmm. Unless we just wanted to do this mini-sode about the cryptid presentation and just talk about cryptids. <laughs> you know it. Okay, we can talk about cryptids, then we can move on to mine, which is about LGBT stuff, if we have time. So, this is, I actually made this project for, um, psychology, because I was talking about, like, the psychology behind why you believe in cryptozoology. It made the teacher believe in cryptids, It so. did. Wait, really? Yeah, he said that now he doesn't not believe in cryptids as much. <laughs> he was like, yeah, a girl in my class last year did a project on um, cryptozoology, and it actually was very convincing. And the whole class was very interested, and I was like, wow, yeah. Sophia! <laughs> oh, we forgot to introduce ourselves. I'm Sarah. I'm Sophia. You Welcome to Homicide! <laughs> yes! Okay. okay, so first we're just going to give you a little, little rough... Oh, wait, we forgot to talk slower. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. So, what is cryptozoology? Cryptozoology is the search for and study of animals whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstained, such as the Loch Ness Monster and the Yeti. Reports of cryptids have been around since the beginning of time, with stories of gods and monsters dating back to one of the first civilizations of Mesopotamia. Cool. So, I did, like, a really rough, like, rundown of, like, four cryptids. Bayfoot, also known as the Yeti or Swamp Ape, this large humanoid ape-like creature is frequently seen throughout North America and Canada. He's often described as 79 feet tall, a bipedal humanoid creature with shaggy brown and black hair covering most of his body. Wasn't the Swamp Ape in Florida? Yeah. That's not- Oh, wait, that's North America! You're right! Oh, my God! Yeah, yeah, what? Okay. I forgot that North America <laughs> and Florida were, you know, <laughs> don't talk to me, don't talk to me. Okay. <laughs> so, there are hundreds of Bigfoot sightings per year in North America and Canada. They're usually seen in temperate forests and large rural areas. <laughs> and then I have a little fact about um, how famed author Michael Buckley from the Nerd series, he also wrote the Sisters Grimm series, believes Bigfoot lives in forested parts of southern Canada. Yeah, because, um, fun backstory, we went to, like, um, this author convention thing. Yeah. Where, like, there were all these, like, authors, and, like, we, it was, like, a festival, and, like, you could go to, like, panels. And yeah. Sophia asked Michael Buckley um, <laughs> if he believed in cryptids because he wrote a book about mermaids. He did. And he was, like, well, I mean, there's lots of forest in Canada, and so probably Bigfoot is there. Yeah. Also, it looks like there I tried to get you to change Bigfoots to Bigfeet. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you didn't do it, did you? No. Oh, you did do it? Okay. <laughs> she changed it to Bigfeet. <laughs> okay. So here's some folklore and evidence behind the man. Okay. Bigfoot has, has been reported throughout Native American history in numerous different tribes all across North America. The temperament of the creature varies from tribe to tribe, some describing them as malevolent monsters, others describing them as neutral or caring beings. So Bigfeet have been imported from about 24 different tribes, all from different parts of the continent. This variety in location... Oh, that's just like a sick question. Um, Why did these different cultures have stories of similar six to nine foot hairy beasts in their history? I think that was just like me. I got a really good grade in it. Though. Me when I don't shave my legs for a week. Why did these cultures all... Alright, here's my next boy. He gave me nightmares as a child. So who's excited? Me. The this, goat sucker. Yes, this is El Chupacabra. <laughs> El Chupacabra originates from parts of Puerto Rico, Mexico, and the United States. In appearance varies from story to story, some describing it as a large white gray dog, or others describing it as an alien-like creature. The Chupacabra ranges from four to five feet tall and has been described as either having two legs or four legs. It is described as either having feather-like spikes coming out of its back if it's like the alien one or like a dog if it's the dog. 
<laughs> like um, a dog, if it's a dog. Yeah, I don't know. El Chupacabra has been spotted by farmers and civilians all over the southern U.S., Puerto Rico, as well as Mexico. Nice. Yes. Most of the sightings occur around or after times the time of bodies of dead sheep slash livestock being found. They're usually spotted with, like, two, like, spots in the neck with the bubble sucked on them. Yeah, because but it's the goat sucker. Yes, they're called goat suckers. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. So, here's some evidence and lore about the Chupacabra. Chupacabra. Okay. The first report of El Chupacabra was... In March of 1995, in Puerto Rico, eight sheep were found completely drained of blood with three puncture wounds in their chest. Eight month, five months later, in August, Madeline Tolentine reported seeing the creature in a Puerto Rican town of Canovanas, where 150-plus farm animals and pets were killed in the Jesus, same fashion. Jesus! That's so many! I know! Reports similar to these have been reported since, with one explanation from the government being hairless coyotes afflicted with mange who sucked the blood for violence. Me! That's which me! Which is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. Which is a theory, but is a reach at best. Okay, there's also a video of a chupacabra. So we're going to show it right now in the podcast. No, but I can't. But so basically, I'm going to tell you the tea on this video. So this, this couple in Texas found a chupacabra, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, it's a chupacabra. And then the government was like, let me see that. And then um, this guy, who's apparently the animal specialist where they live, was like, it's clearly a canine, even though the, the chupacabra is using its front two paws to eat food. Me. And clearly has more rodent-like features and dog-like features, which sounds really fake. And he's like, it's clearly a canine. And I'm like, dogs don't eat with their hands, bitch. So. Literally? Anyways, that's why that's fake and the government sucks. Oh my gosh, your favorite. This is my favorite boy in the whole wide world. This is Mothman. I love him. He's also, he used to be known as Owl Man, just so you know. That's why I fell in love with him. You know, he's obsessed with owls. Anyway. So Mothman. Sophia loves moths. I actually hate moths, I terrible. I know. <laughs> Mothman is often described as a six-foot-tall, black fur-covered humanoid creature with ten feet, long black wings, and glowing red eyes. Ten feet? <laughs> no. Nope. With ten feet? <laughs> he originates from West Virginia and is known as the Harbinger of Doom. He's also been seen at the site of many mysterious accidents and events in West Virginia. Locals consider him the angel of death. So, here's some sightings. Okay. On November 12, 1966, five men who were digging a grave at a cemetery near Clendon, West Virginia, claimed to see a man-like figure fly low over the trees, fly low from the trees over their heads. This is the first ever reporting sighting of Mothman. There are numerous sightings in November of 1966 of locals seeing a tall man with red glowing eyes and 10-foot-long wings, which have been reported to follow them home above their cars. After the collapse of Silver Bridge and the death of 46 people in December 15, 1967, rumors spread linking Mothman to the scene and folklore began to rise from that event. It's also been said, I watched a documentary on Mothman, and it said that Mothman um, followed this guy home and was, like, outside his window, and so the guy freaked out, and his dog was outside barking. So he brought the dog in, but then the dog wanted to go back out, so he let the dog out, and the dog was never seen again. That's just how dogs act. And Oh, except for the never seen by again Mothman. <laughs> but, like, the other part was just how dogs But he act. saw Mothman in the window. Oh, yeah, then definitely Mothman. Here's the Loch Ness Monster, my favorite girl. So, the Loch Ness Monster, otherwise known lovingly as Nessie, is a sea monster <laughs> inhabiting Loch Ness in Scotland. She is usually described as being 5 to 10 feet tall, 25 to 50 feet long, with a 10 to 20 foot long neck, and sometimes with flippers, sometimes without. Her first dates, the first report her of her first dates date. back to 565 AD. So, there's a lot of pictures that have been proven to be hoaxes of just, like, elephant trunks. Um... But. Oh yeah, fun note. A lot of people when they cover Loch Ness Monster on their podcast, they call Oh fuck. Okay. Good. I thought that our thing was not recording, but it's okay because it didn't. Um so a lot of people when they cover it, they say um Lake Loch Ness or Loch Ness Lake. Do not Lake. say that Loch it's means lo- lake. Yes, it's Loch Ness. <laughs> you really get so many nerves when people call it Loch Ness Lake. Yeah, that's 
wrong. That's really wrong. Just like call out post for everyone that does that. Yeah. Lock means lake. Yes. Lock means lake. I don't know what else to say. Okay. Anyway, so sightings. Um, you'll never guess where Nessie's been spotted. Okay, Nessie has been spotted hundreds of times, both on land and in the sea surrounding Loch Ness. Most of the sightings have been dismissed being driftwood or other animals, but believers usually dismiss those claims because of their, because of other substantial evidence they have. Some Countless- confirmation bias, am I right? Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> Countless sailors have reported seeing her swimming in the lake, and divers and residents near the lake have reported seeing her outside of their homes. Um, folklore and evidence. The original myth of Nessie is that hundreds of years ago, a huge sea monster came out of the lock and proceeded to terrorize the town and eat a local farmer. Although <laughs> famous one. photo has been proven to be a hoax amongst, uh, amongst others. There is very compelling evidence suggesting Nessie exists. What's the surgeon photo? Um, this one right here. Oh, okay. The, no, no, no. the listeners can see that. You're right. It's the surgeon photo. It's the, when you look up Nessie, it's the first one. It's like a black and white lake with like a little trunk sticking out of the water. It turns out it's an elephant trunk. He ran a circus. He put an elephant in the water when he was bathing and then took a oh, photo yeah. of the trunk. Is that why every like podcast I listen to where they talk about Nessie, they're like, and some people think she might be an elephant. Yeah. Yeah, but like there's no elephant. Yes, there is an elephant. No, but like there's an elephant in the picture, but like... There's no elephant in the lake. Like, why would yes. there be an elephant in the lake? Like, no. why would there be an okay. elephant in the so lake? So there was, there was, like, circuses and no. stuff would come through, and they would put the elephants in the water to um, get okay. a bath, and then they would take po- photos of the trunks sticking out of the water. For it to be Nessie, or just, yeah. like, for fun? for Nessie. Okay. But, like, the, yeah, I understand that, but, like, why do people entertain it as a theory? Like, that there's gonna just, like, be an elephant in the water. Oh, no, it's not a theory. <laughs> That's just what people um, oh, okay. think a lot of photos are. Okay, see, that makes sense. Every time I listen to a podcast, everyone, like, reads that, and they're like, yeah, or Nessie could be an elephant. And then they, like, laugh about how Nessie can't possibly be an elephant for, like, 20 minutes. And I'm like, what's going on? Why would Nessie be an elephant? Um, but, like, that makes sense. You clearly didn't do your research on Nessie, huh? I didn't. <laughs> that's the problem. This is your mini-sode. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, that's pretty much all I like to say. I have some psychology, but I don't think we want to go into it because it's not our forte. I mean, we're only at, like, 12 minutes. We can look at the psychology a little bit. All right. We talked about psychology in episode one or two. I don't remember which episode, but we did talk about some psychology in one episode. Yes, let's take a little peek. Okay, we can definitely skip the long names. Yes, so... um, So we skip that phenomenon. (laughs) Many non-believers tend to question why cryptozoologists believe in these creatures. Creatures. When the only real evidence of them are blurry photos, shaky videos, and eyewitness accounts. There are numerous psychological explanations as to why people keep seeing these creatures, such as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, memory errors, and group polarization. Okay, we could just talk about, like... Group polarization or the Bader Meinhof. But this one's interesting. Okay, we can talk about the Bader Meinhof. Okay, so the Bader Meinhof phenomenon. The Bader Meinhof phenomenon is the act of hearing or seeing something for the first time and then seeing or hearing about it all the time afterwards. For example, you hear you learn somebody's last name for the first time and all of a sudden you meet three more people with the same last name in the week. Um, This occurs because our brain has a bias towards patterns and will recognize them more frequently than non-patterns. Here's a little um, blurb about the chupacabra. This explains why one of the first eyewitness records for El Chupacabra went like this. After a five-year investigation by Benjamin Rathford, documented in his 2011 book, Tracking the Chupacabra, concluded that the description given by the original eyewitness in Puerto Rico, Madeline Tolentino, was based off a creature, Sill, in a science fiction horror movie, Species. The alien creature, Sill, is nearly identical to Tolentino's Chupacabra eyewitness account, and she has and she has seen the movie before her report. It was the creature that looked like the Chupacabra, with spines on its back and all. The resemblance to the Chupacabra was really impressive, Tolentino reported. Radford revealed that Tolentino believed 
um, that the creature and the events saw, she saw in the species were happening in reality in Puerto Rico at the time, and therefore concludes that the most important chupacabra description cannot be trusted. Group colorization refers to the tendency of a referred group to make decisions that are, the, that are more extreme than the initial inclination of its members. This could explain why people often identify things that are not cryptids as such. If I, were to take, if I were to look at a blurry photo of a brown animal, I would probably identify it as a bear or some other kind of animal. If I were to show the video to my friends and they all agree that it's Bigfoot, I might suddenly feel more inclined to believe them and go along with the idea too. The scenario happens every day with evidence of cryptids posted online. An ambiguous photo or video is posted on a forum somewhere, and suddenly you have 20 people calling it evidence because of group polarization. They're jumping to conclusions because others and thus because others are, and thus creating an opinion based on group think, not actual facts. This is one of the most this is one of the prime reasons cryptozoology is becoming more mainstream, because you're much more likely to believe in something if a whole group is believing in it. Believing in it. Okay. Nice. Yeah, um, and that actually happened in my class because I showed videos of each cryptid, like a spotting of each cryptid, and then by the end they were all like, oh shit, oh shit, I don't believe in cryptids now. And my, my teacher was like, see, perfect example of polarization. And I now was you like, all believe in cryptids. And Sophia yeah. was like, yeah, I believed right. in them all along. I was like, I was right all along. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. On another note that's also related to something we do, I did a presentation in a class on LGBTQ plus representation in media. So it starts off with some basic stats, which show that, um, according to the study that I based most of this on, which was done by USC a few years ago, I don't remember when, but it says somewhere in this presentation, mm. that 97.9% of the movies and TV shows that they analyzed were had straight characters, like 97.9% of the characters were straight, and the other percentage was LGBTQ+, which is very, like, not a lot. And in within that, like, tiny percentage... Mm-hmm. 68.4% of those characters were gay, which means, like, gay men. Yeah. 21.2% were lesbian. 7.4% were bisexual. And then the remaining, like, tiny sliver was transgender, which was, like, a tiny amount. So yeah. small that it didn't show up. So why does that matter? Like, why do we care? Mm-hmm. And the reason we care is because children need to see that they're not alone. And they need to see, like, themselves. Because it shows them they're not alone. It shows them they can do great things. And it shows them that their voices matter. And there's actually a really nice quote by Juno Diaz, mm-hmm. whose name I might have mispronounced, where he said, um, if you want to make a human being into a monster, deny them at a cultural level any reflection of themselves. Yeah. Which is, like, really deep. Yeah. And it also, another big thing, like, if you're not in a minority, you might be like, well, <laughs> why does this matter to me? Like, why do I care about representation of minorities in media? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not a member of that. And it's because it shows majority groups the experience and perspectives of minorities. Mm-hmm. And it shows that the world is made up of real dimensional people and not just stereotypes and tropes, mm-hmm. which is, you know, always good. And how does this representation vary between communities? Mm-hmm. Well, LGBTQ representation is rare, but some groups are represented more than others, which we saw in those basic stats. We saw that gay white males are represented more, represented more than other groups. Mm-hmm. If you look at LGBT representation, 72.1% of it is male and 27.9% is female, which is, like, not good because, like, population-wise, it should be a 50-50 split, mm-hmm. approximately. And then if you look at representation of white compared to non-white people, it's 78.9% white and 21.1% non-white. Mm-hmm. That's within, like, the LGBT tiny percent already. Mm-hmm. However, not all representation is good representation. Mm. There is queer baiting, queer coding, and harmful tropes. Mm-hmm. So queer, we'll start with harmful tropes because it's quicker. Mm-hmm. Harmful tropes would include, like, murdering all the lesbians, mm-hmm. like, what are some shows that have murdered their lesbians? Oh, wait, I have them right here on the screen. <laughs> we have Supernatural. We have The 100, which mm-hmm. murdered Lexa, as we all know. And we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. Which, spoilers for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, just, like, push the skip ahead 15 seconds button. 
if you don't want to hear this. But basically, there's a character, and she is a lesbian, and she dies. And it's very sad. <laughs> That's it. Okay. Yeah, it was really sad. But, like, basically, that is, like, epitomizing this trope of, like, showing LGBT people that they, like, really don't have a chance mm-hmm. because they're just going to die. Yeah. And, like, there's a difference between that, like, a gay character dying and it just being, like, for no reason, which mm-hmm. is, like, what a lot of those are, yeah. compared to, like, a gay character dying and, like, it actually That's serves the plot. Way. And even if it, like, serves the plot, sometimes it's, like, mm, yeah. was that really necessary? Yeah. And there's queer coding, which is different from queer baiting. I love queer coding. Which it's ta- very interesting. Queer coding, yes, it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like in a lot of Disney movies, like you'll see like the male villains will be like super effeminate mm-hmm. and like basically gay stereotypes. And that leads you to think like in the future, like if you're like, Oh, I see that effeminate man, he reminds me of this villain, he's probably bad, which mm-hmm. like then leads people to like Yeah. If you notice most yeah. Disney villains are like that, fun fact. Yeah, most Disney villains. Disney's homophobic. Disney's homophobic. I mean, what? What? I didn't say anything. What are you talking about? I don't know. I don't know. But queer coding can also happen, like... Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Like, it's where you, like, stereotype... Like, turn someone into a stereotype, and you don't necessarily, like... You don't actually say that they're gay, but, like, they're basically gay. And it can lead people to, like, think, like, bad things about Mm -hmm. the gay community if it's, like, a villain. And then queer baiting? That's a real big favorite of mine. Uh, So common. I want to die. But, I mean, now there's a bisexual character on Riverdale, so I'm less pissed about that queer baiting. Okay, same. Can we watch that? Yeah. yeah, we can watch that later. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, Riverdale did it in their initial promos. They queer baited by showing Cheryl and Betty, fucking Cheryl, not Cheryl, Veronica and Betty kissing in the trailer, which made us all think, oh my god, Veronica and Betty gay. are going to get together. They're gay. But then turns out, nope, that's not what happened. And it made everyone sad. Yeah. But it got a lot of queer people to watch the show. Yeah. Oh, also, sorry, I'm using the word queer a lot because that's a word that I'm comfortable using, but I understand that not everyone's comfortable with it. So, like, I'm really sorry. Yeah, but I love saying the F slur and referring to me because I'm a big homo. Yeah, but like. People aren't comfortable with that. Yeah, lots of people aren't comfortable with those. Yeah. Which, like, makes sense. And, like, to everyone their own. So just because we're using it doesn't mean we're, like, trying to say, like, everyone should say yeah. that. Anyway. So basically, a lot of queer people would, like, tune into the show because they'd be like, oh, these are going to be gay characters. Like, I'm going to mm-hmm. be able to see myself. And then, no, no. They're, they're straight. They're straight. And Supernatural does it all the time. Yeah. And, like, Sherlock does it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, basically any show like that. Mm-hmm. All the time. Supernatural's really bad about it. Yeah. I could go on about that for a while. I think we have to have a separate episode about queer baiting because okay. we have a lot to say. We have a lot to say. Oh, looks like I actually had another separate slide about queer baiting. Oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adding homoerotic tension between two characters to attract more viewers but never actually having those characters get together. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I forgot. To talk about, it's different from queer coding, that's important, mm-hmm. and then it can be explicit or implicit. Mm-hmm. So explicit queer baiting would be, like, jokes about, like, like if, they do that a lot in Supernatural, where, like, the two brothers get mistaken for being a couple, and they're like, <laughs> we're not gay. Yeah. Which is, like, their brothers, so that's, like, adds another layer of weirdness to that. But, yeah. like, there's, like, a lot of shows where, like, two people will be mistaken for gay, and it's, like, so funny. <laughs> they they couldn't be. never be gay. It's so funny to be a homosexual. Mm-hmm. And, like, no homo humor, basically. Yeah. And then implicit queer baiting, and that's, like, in the way a show shot or parallels. Like, it would be, like, if you shot a character, a scene with, like, two straight characters, and at the end of the scene they have sex. Yeah. And then you shoot a scene with two characters that are the same sex and mm-hmm. that you've been queer baiting with. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's the same shot the same way and, like, the same, like, parallel dialogue and stuff, mm-hmm. but they don't get together at the mm-hmm. end. And, like, that's, that's queer baiting. That's something that happens a lot in Supernatural, too. Mm-hmm. Well, they'll shoot scenes with Dean and Castiel in the mm-hmm. same way they'd shoot a scene with, like, Sam and some girl. Yeah. And then they'd be like, well, I don't know where you got the idea that Dean and Castiel were together. Yeah. <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. And there's this external clear baiting, which is where, like, actors and writers and showrunners will be like, 
well, I mean, we're not going to deny anything. The mm-hmm. fans can interpret how they want. Yeah. Which sounds, like, good on top, but, like, it's if bad. you think about it, it's bad because, like... People shouldn't have to force representation on things. Yeah. There should be representation for them. Yeah, like, since being queer is, like, a minority mm-hmm. kind of thing, like, not everyone is queer, so mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to automatically assume that people are straight. Like, yeah. no one... Well, actually, I do assume the characters are not straight a lot. Only bisexual? I assume that everyone's bisexual on every show ever, but that's another story. But, yeah, like, giving people the option to, like, say, well, I mean, I guess they could be like me is not the same as representation. And, yeah. like, it's really harmful in the end because, like, you're like, well, I mean, I guess I can never really be real about who I am. I just got to imply it forever. Yeah. You know, like that, basically. And I have some more harmful tropes that I forgot I had in the tab. I said dead lesbians. I said gay villains, mm-hmm. basically, when I said queer coding. Queer coding. But then... Also, there are the issues of transgender villains and perverts, which I completely mm-hmm. forgot about, but it's a huge issue. Like, if you watch TV, a lot of transgender people are not depicted as happy, like, even yeah. more than LGBT people, even mm-hmm. though they also fall into this category sometimes. Mm-hmm. Transgender people are, like, really often portrayed as, like, villains or, like, perverts a really big amount of the time. Yeah. Or, like, just, like, evil or, like, mentally ill, which obviously, like, isn't, like, a bad thing to be mentally ill. Yeah. Like, we don't want to stigmatize that, but, like, only showing unhappy people that are transgender is not going to help the trans community or, like, yeah. give them any hope. Like, if a trans kid's watching that, they're going to be like, well, I guess I'm just going to be sad forever. Yeah. And also, sometimes it says, like, them being trans is mental illness. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, like, will conflate it. Like, they'll make it so you'll conflate it. So it'll be like, well, I mean, maybe yeah. they actually identify as this, but maybe they're just crazy. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, you know. So that's that's really bad. And then stereotypes, like the flamboyant gay man, the gay best friend, the butch lesbian, the promiscuous bisexual, etc. Mm-hmm. We all know those. Tropes. Stereotypes. And then we end this presentation with, it can get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We can change our stereotypical thinking. Mm-hmm. Actively try to include representation. Hire more actors, writers, directors, etc. that are LGBTQ. Because everyone knows if you hire someone that's part of a group, like, they're probably going to write about their group. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just reading a book last night that was written by a queer person of color, and it was the best thing I'd ever read. Well, like, it wasn't, like, the best book I'd ever read. It was very good, though. Yeah. It was so nice. Like, I don't know. It made me really happy when I looked on the, like, about the author, and it was, mm-hmm. like... She lives with her wife. And I was like, oh. I read gay books all the time, and the authors are just like, she lives with her husband mm-hmm. and her three children in a house in the suburbs. And yeah. I'm like, wow, I love things. Yeah. But, like, this was actually, like, a queer woman, and, like, there was a lot about the main character being a person of color, so I figured this woman is a person of color, because, like... You write about what you know. Yeah, and also it was just, like, very genuine. Like, it wasn't, like... It didn't feel, like, fake. Yeah. And a lot of times when, like, white people try to write people of color, it feels it's really like, fake. like, I am black, and I am oppressed, and that is it. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I don't know, know I'm, like... deeper. And, like, white, so I can't really, like, tell exactly. if it's, like, real, but, like... I don't know, it felt very, like, genuine, yeah. and it, like... It wasn't just, like, surface, like, stuff you hear over and over again. Yeah. But, like, she was actually telling about, like, her struggles as, like, a person. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Basically, mm-hmm. it felt very real. Anyway, that was Sparrow by Sarah Moon, and mm-hmm. it was good... It was a nice book. It was about an eighth grader. So, like, it was a little younger than I usually read. But, like, she gets caught on the roof of her school and they think she's going to jump off and kill herself. But then it turns out she just, like... It's, like, this whole thing where she, like, just, like, really, like, wants to, like, fly away like a bird. And, like, she really loves birds. And she really, like... She's just really lonely because she doesn't really have any friends. And this librarian, like, really took her under her wing. (laughs) Birds. But, like, also, like, really, like, cared for her. And then the librarian dies. And she's just very sad. And she lost... Like, she doesn't... She just doesn't really have any friends. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, it's a story of her, like, being in therapy and stuff. And it's, like, very good because it, like, shines a very positive light on therapy, which is, like, mm-hmm. important. Yeah. And then also at the same time, it, like, is... I don't know. And, like, she's a person of color, so, like, mm-hmm. it's shining light on that, too. Yeah. Anyway. 
All right. So yeah, and monitor progress, take care of what needs improvement, or take note of what needs improvement, and watch television, movies, etc. critically, and keep an eye out for tropes, stereotypes, and lack of positive representation. Because <laughs> everyone knows we can't call people out on things unless we pay attention for Like, yes. we pay attention and look for them. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's our mini-sode where we talk about cryptids and how um, gay people are basically cryptids because we can't find them anywhere. Literally, yes. Yeah, and I already forgot our outro from the last episode, but oh yeah, follow us on social media. Yes. Homicide Podcast on Twitter, Homicide Podcast on Everything Instagram. Else. We're only on those two social media platforms. Yeah. We're also, our podcast is on iTunes, or Apple, Apple Yeah, it's fine, whatever. Um, Google Play, SoundCloud. That's um, it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. And we tried to put it on Spotify, but don't think it, don't think it worked. I don't think it worked. Probably because I wasn't 18 when I applied for it. But now I'm 18, so we're going to try again. All right. So, um... Um... What was our sign? Oh, yeah. Remember. Remember. Murder is bad. Being gay is good. No, that wasn't it. It was, but being gay is... Okay. Okay. Okay, ready? But remember. Oh, wait, no. Remember. Murder is bad. But being gay is okay. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Yes.